Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. College campuses have erupted over the war in the Middle East. Jewish and Palestinian students, along with their supporters, are protesting and angry. Hey, coward! We went to listen to them and see if anyone had an idea about how to lower the temperature. We were surprised by what we found. This machine can create nearly the coldest conditions in the universe at about 460 degrees below zero. In that environment, a radically new kind of computer may change civilization as we know it. We're looking at a race between China, between IBM, Google, Microsoft, Honeywell, because the nation or company that does this will rule the world economy. I'm only your favorite woman of all time, Barbie! Who was responsible for turning an 11 and a half inch plastic doll into the highest grossing movie of the year? Can you control your hair? The woman Margot Robbie, Barbie herself, chose to write and direct it. Greta Gerwig. You know, you might as well take those big swings. I mean, literally the worst thing that can happen is it's terrible, nobody likes it, and it bankrupts a studio. <laughs> I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Cecilia Vega. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories and more tonight on 60 Minutes. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. 
So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. On Tuesday, the presidents of Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, and MIT will testify before Congress about anti-Semitism on college campuses that exploded after Hamas's bloody attack on Israeli civilians October 7th and Israel's bombardment of Gaza that's led to more than 15,000 deaths, according to the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry. It'll be the first time these leaders will be questioned about what's happening on their campuses, where raw emotions have revealed Islamophobia and anti-Semitism alike, Columbia University in New York City has experienced this chaos on campus like no other. Shame on Columbia! Shame on Columbia! We went to see a rally in support of Palestinians on the campus of Columbia University. This was five weeks after the Hamas terror attack on Israel. Campus gates were locked. Entrances were guarded by the NYPD. We witnessed a sea of phones held high in solidarity with the people of Gaza and the West Bank. Passions were high as well. Occupation no more! Occupation no more! The following afternoon... And we will fight Columbia University! Another pro-Palestinian rally. This one outside the gates. We saw posters of Israelis kidnapped by Hamas being defaced. While later on campus, we observed this vigil in support of Israel. Normally, students at Columbia are encouraged to be open to ideas and debate, but these are not normal times. When we visited, police were guarding Hillel, a center for Jewish life on campus. How do you feel on campus? Do you feel safe? Short answer is no. We met third-year student Eden Yadigar at Hillel. She's the head of Students Supporting Israel at Columbia. She told us students on all sides of the issue feel unease on campus. It's tense. It's hostile. There have been days where I've had to walk through not one but two protests on campus in order to get to my classes. Another student, David, asked that we not use his last name for safety concerns. I was leaving the library late at night and I had a Sar of David visibly out, just like this. And somebody came up to me and yelled, Free Palestine, Free Palestine. Yelled it at, at you? Yes, at me. And I don't know if I can say this on TV, but he goes, F the Jews, F the Jews, a few times. Our university is directly complicit in this violence with its rhetoric and its investments. Mariam Alwan is one of the leaders of Students for Justice in Palestine, or SJP. She told us she has faced repercussions for speaking out publicly. 
You said you've been avoiding campus? Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna graduate anymore. Like, um, I haven't really been going to a lot of my classes. And Other pro-Palestinian student protesters have had their names and faces paraded outside campus on a digital billboard. Alwan's group, the SJP, was suspended from campus for holding unauthorized rallies. It's been very scary. What makes it scary? There have been a lot of death threats. There have been professors at the school who have been um, calling us terrorists. She says the university has made things worse. So they close all the gates. They bring hordes of NYPD, and then they make all of the students of color feel unsafe. Navigating these past couple of months on campus has been a challenge, to say the least. Colombia's new president, Minouche Shafiq, has largely been absent from the turmoil. This past Thursday, she opened a panel discussion on the crisis, and protesters tried to shut it down. In her few cautious statements to the campus, she's managed to offend both sides by not condemning Hamas by name or the killing of thousands of Palestinians. The university just thinks this will just quiet down. But we've been there before. Hatred doesn't disappear. Shai Davidai is an assistant professor of management at the Columbia Business School who grew up in Israel. He says he was shocked to his core by the Hamas atrocities on October 7th, and then by what he saw as the university's failure to condemn the perpetrators by name. Why do you think that is? I think it's a mixture of cowardice, and part of it is callousness. Davidai's frustration erupted two weeks after the attack in a video that went viral. President Minouche Shafiq of Columbia University, you are a coward. What can the university do at this time? If you support Hamas, you should not be allowed to be an organization on campus. Universities, colleges, are supposed to be bastions of free speech. Is this not a free speech issue? So is a student organization celebrating a lynching of an African-American male free speech? I'm not asking for restrictions of free speech. I'm asking for equal treatment. That's it. You have spoken out. Have you been reprimanded in any way by the university? I have not done anything wrong. I'm only saying what... Thousands of Jewish and Israeli faculty, staff, and students are feeling. Shame on Israel! We met another leader who has emerged on campus. Mohsen Madawi is co-president of Colombia's Palestinian Students' Union. When the SJP and another group, Jewish Voices for Peace, were suspended last month, Madawi stepped up to lead a diverse, growing coalition of more than 80 campus groups. We come here and we stand tall to raise our voices. He called the university's response one-sided. When the president sent the email, she did not acknowledge the Palestinian side at all. You know that Jewish students and faculty on campus say pretty much the exact same thing. There is a difference, a huge difference the pro-Israel sign wants the administration to silence us, not giving us space to mourn or protest the killing of civilians and the destruction of Gaza. It's a genocide for us. 
Madawi grew up in a refugee camp in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, like his father and grandfather before him. He told us his childhood was defined by an early encounter with Israeli troops during the Second Intifada in 2002. And I had my best friend with me, Hameda, and suddenly I see an Israeli soldier pointing the rifle at us, and he shot my friend in his chest. You were how old? I was 10 years old. And I still remember when we put him in the grave, I held him and I shook him. I said, Hamida, wake up, wake up. He didn't wake up. And I told him, I promise, I promise I will revenge. 21 years later, he says his revenge is showing the world the human face of Palestinians. At Columbia, he's reached out to rabbis and Hillel, but the Hamas terror attack aroused old feelings. When somebody is hurting you, when you see this person is being punched in the face, and this feeling, it is, you now feel my pain. But this Hamas attack wasn't a punch in the face. This was a horrible terror attack. I did not say that I justify what Hamas has done. I said I can empathize. To empathize is to understand the root cause and to not look at any event or situation in a vacuum. This is, for me, the path moving forward. The search for a way forward took us more than 200 miles north to another ivy, Dartmouth. What has been the reaction here on the Dartmouth campus? Thankfully, the reaction here has been, I think, a lot better than what I hear has been happening on other campuses. Ezzedine Fischer is a senior lecturer in the Middle Eastern Studies program and a former Egyptian diplomat. We have uh, protests and vigils and so on. And overall, they have been uh, very uh, decent and civil. Visiting professor Bernard Avishai is an American-Israeli journalist who lives in Jerusalem half the year. I mean, how many campuses, when a tragedy like this uh, strikes, the first thing that the head of Middle Eastern studies and the first thing that Jewish studies do is immediately communicate with one another and say, we have to do something about this together. The department heads drew on a seven-year relationship and organized campus forums about the crisis. They served as a kind of pressure valve for the students to vent, lament, and ask tough questions. Why don't you say you're hesitant to condemn Hamas because you don't want to imply one side is worse than the other? We certainly condemn Hamas. Hundreds of students attended in person. More than 2,000 watched online. So is this type of collaboration on a topic unusual or usual? It was uh, there in the DNA already, because you can't do this at the last minute. You have to start doing it years before the crisis strikes. Avishai and Fischer have been co-teaching a course called Politics of Israel and Palestine for two years. We spoke with Yasmin Abuali, Sami Lofman, Jackson Yassin, and Faisal Azizi. They told us they took the class to challenge their beliefs. You know, Palestine-Israel has so much media 
and propaganda and misinformation surrounding it. I think it's really valuable to think through why you believe what you believe and, and find the weak points and see where things maybe should change. It allows you to have much more meaningful conversations with others. Is that sort of central to your message? It is, yes. You know, if you want to hate Israel, there are millions of people who hate Israel. You can just join that line. If you want to blame the Palestinians, you know, there are millions of people who do that. If you want to be morally um, indignant, go right ahead. But it doesn't concern us. What you need to know from me is a method of learning and thinking, identifying biases. That's what I can help you with. It's easy to see the differences between Dartmouth and Columbia. Dartmouth is one-fifth the size, bucolic and less diverse. But they could easily have looked very similar after October 7th. The campus grew tense when the administration had two protesters critical of Israel arrested for trespassing. I think the potential for temperatures to rise as high as they did at other schools is just as valid at Dartmouth as it is at Harvard or Columbia. But Dartmouth president Sian Bylock urged the faculty to make this a teachable moment. We have this incredible privilege of having that space of learning and growth, and that is much more valuable than one more violent protest or any of that stuff that we have seen in other places. Back on Columbia's New York City campus, we couldn't help notice the two sides that seem so far apart are united by one thing. It's clear that we are both in extreme pain. The truth of the matter is there are two people that are not going anywhere, Palestinians and the Israeli Jews. What I hear are two sides talking past each other. Yes. How do you get past that? I'm inviting them to come and look at my wounds. The pain that I lived and my people are living is real, and I want them to feel it. This is what we all are trying to do. Can you feel me? Can you see me? Can you hear me? And it's painful. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Artificial intelligence is the magic of the moment, but this is a story about what's next, something incomprehensible. Tomorrow, IBM will announce an advance in an entirely new kind of computing, one that may solve problems in minutes that would take today's supercomputers millions of years.
That's the difference in quantum computing, a technology being developed at IBM, Google, and others. It's named for quantum physics, which describes the forces of the subatomic realm. The science is deep, and we can't scratch the surface, but we hope to explain enough so that you won't be blindsided by a breakthrough that could transform civilization. The quantum computer pushes the limits of knowledge, new science, new engineering, all leading to this processor that computes with the atomic forces that created the universe. I think this moment, it feels to us like the pioneers on the 1940s and 50s that were building the first digital computers. Dario Gill is something of a quantum crusader. Spanish-born with a PhD in electrical engineering, Gill is head of research at IBM. How much faster is this than, say, the world's best supercomputer today? We are now in a stage where we can do certain calculations with these systems that would take the biggest supercomputers in the world to be able to do some similar calculation. But the beauty of it is that we see that we're going to continue to expand that capability such that not even a million or a billion of those supercomputers connected together could do the calculations of these future machines. So we've come a long way. And the most exciting part is that we have a roadmap and a journey right now where that is going to continue to increase at a rate that is going to be shocking. I'm not sure the world is prepared for this change. Definitely not. To understand the change, go back to 1947 and the invention of a switch called a transistor. The transistor, a new name. Computers have processed information on transistors ever since, getting faster as more transistors were squeezed onto a chip, billions of them today. But it takes that many because each transistor holds information in only two states. It's either on or it's off, like a coin, heads or tails. Quantum abandons transistors and encodes information on electrons that behave like this coin we created with animation. Electrons behave in a way so that they are heads and tails and everything in between. You've gone from handling one bit of information at a time on a transistor to exponentially more data. You can see that there's fantastic amount of information stored when you can look at all possible angles, not just up or down. Physicist Michio Kaku of the City University of New York already calls today's computers classical. He uses a maze to explain quantum's difference. Let's look at a classical computer calculating how a mouse navigates a maze. It is painful. One by one, it has to map every single left turn, right turn, left turn, right turn before it finds the goal. Now, a quantum computer scans all possible routes simultaneously. This is amazing. How many turns are there? Hundreds of possible turns, right? Quantum computers do it all at once. Kaku's book, titled Quantum Supremacy, explains the stakes. We're looking at a race, a race between China, between IBM, 
Google, Microsoft, Honeywell, all the big boys are in this race to create a workable, operationally efficient quantum computer. Because the nation or company that does this will rule the world economy. But a reliable, general-purpose quantum computer is a tough climb yet. Maybe that's why this wall is in the lobby of Google's quantum lab in California. Here, we got an inside look, starting with a microscope's view of what replaces the transistor. This right here is one qubit, and this is another qubit. This is a five qubit chain. Those crosses at the bottom are qubits, short for quantum bits. They hold the electrons and act like artificial atoms. Unlike transistors, each additional qubit doubles the computer's power. It's exponential. So while 20 transistors are 20 times more powerful than one, 20 qubits are a million times more powerful than one. So this gets positioned right here on the fridge. Karina Chow, chief operating officer of Google's lab, showed us the processor that holds the qubits. Much of that above chills the qubits to what physicists call near absolute zero. Near absolute zero, I understand, is about 460 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. So that's about as cold as anything can get. Yes, almost as cold as possible. That temperature inside a sealed computer is one of the coldest places in the universe. The deep freeze eliminates electrical resistance and isolates the qubits from outside vibrations so they can be controlled with an electromagnetic field. The qubits must vibrate in unison, but that's a tough trick called coherence. Once you've achieved coherence of the qubits, mm -hmm. how easy is that to maintain? It's really hard. Um, coherence is very challenging. Coherence is fleeting. In all similar machines, coherence breaks down constantly, creating errors. We're making about one error in every hundred or so steps. Ultimately, we think we're going to need about one error in every million or so steps. That would probably be identified as one of the biggest barriers. Mitigating those errors and extending coherence time while scaling up to larger machines are the challenges facing German-American scientist Hartmut Neven, who founded Google's lab and its casual style in 2012. Can the problems that are in the way of quantum computing be solved? I should confess my subtitle here is chief optimist. <laughs> so after having said this, I would say at this point, we don't need any more fundamental breakthroughs. We need little improvements here and there. We have all the pieces together. We just need to integrate them well to build larger and larger systems. And you think that all of this will be integrated into a system in what period of time? Yeah, we often say we want to do it by the end of the decade so that we can use this Kennedy quote and <laughs> get it done by the end of the decade. The end of this decade? Yes. Five or six years? Yes. That's about the timeline Dario Gill predicts and the IBM research director told us something surprising. There are problems that classical computers can never can solve. Can never solve. And I think this is an important point because we're accustomed to saying, ah, computers get better. Actually, there are many, many problems 
that are so complex that we can make that statement that actually classical computers will never be able to solve that problem. Not now, not a hundred years from now, not a thousand years from now. You actually require a different way to represent information and process information. That's what quantum gives you. Quantum could give us answers to impossible problems in physics, chemistry, engineering, and medicine, which is why IBM and Cleveland Clinic have installed one of the first quantum computers to leave the lab for the real world. It takes time, it takes way too much time to find the solutions we need right now. We sat down with Dario Gill and Dr. Serpil Ayersroom, chief research officer at Cleveland Clinic. She told us healthcare would be transformed if quantum computers can model the behavior of proteins, the molecules that regulate all life. Proteins change shape to change function in ways too complex to follow. And when they get it wrong, that causes disease. It takes on many shapes, many, many shapes, depending upon what it's doing and where it is and which other protein it's with. I need to understand the shape it's in when it's doing an interaction or a function that I don't want it to do for that patient. Cancer, autoimmunity, it's a problem. We are limited completely by the computational ability to look at the structure in real time for any even one molecule. Cleveland Clinic is so proud of its quantum computer, they set it up in a lobby. Behind the glass, that shiny silver cylinder encloses the kind of cooling system and processor you saw earlier. Quantum is not solving the protein problem yet. This is more of a trial run to introduce researchers to quantum's potential. The people using this machine, are they having to learn an entirely different way to communicate with a computer? I think that's what's really nice, that you actually just use a regular laptop and you write a program, uh, very much like you would write a traditional program, but when you, you know, click, you know, go and run, it just happens to run on a very different kind of computer. There are a half dozen competing designs in the race, China named quantum a top national priority, and the U.S. government is spending nearly a billion dollars a year on research. The first change comes next year, when the U.S. publishes new standards for encryption, because quantum is expected one day to break the codes that lock everything from national secrets to credit cards. Tomorrow, IBM will unveil its Quantum System 2 with three times the qubits as the machine you saw in Cleveland. This past August, we saw System 2 under construction. It's a machine unlike anything we've ever built. And this is it. This is it. IBM's Dario Gill told us System 2 has the room to expand to thousands of qubits. What are the chances that this is one of those things that's going to be ready in five years and always will be? We don't see an obstacle right now that will prevent us from building systems that will have tens of thousands and even 100,000 qubits working with each other. So we are highly confident that we will get there. Of all the amazing things we heard, it was physicist Michio Kaku 
who led us down the path to the biggest idea of all. He said, we were walking through a quantum computer. Processing information with subatomic particles is how the universe works. You know, when I look at the night sky, I see stars, I look at the flowers, the trees, I realize that it's all quantum. The splendor of the universe itself, the language of the universe is the language of the quantum. Learning that language may bring more than inconceivable speed. Reverse engineering nature's computer could be a window on creation itself. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For years, Hollywood has relied on towering action heroes to get people to the movies. But this summer, it was an 11-and-a-half-inch doll, complete with plastic accessories and a permanently tanned sidekick that dominated the box office. Barbie brought in more than a billion dollars worldwide, the highest-grossing movie of the year. The brains behind the out-of-the-box blockbuster is an equally unique filmmaker, Greta Gerwig. Gerwig is best known for her work as an actor, director, and screenwriter on smaller independent films. Bankrolled by Warner Brothers and blessed by toymaker Mattel, Greta Gerwig told us Barbie was a dream job and one she feared just might end her career. On a pastel-colored soundstage just outside of London, no one seemed to be having more fun on the set of Barbie than director Greta Gerwig. Gerwig has a way of making things look like child's play, but making Barbie was not. The film's $100 million production budget was dwarfed only by the size of its marketing budget, a reported $150 million. There is like a moment where you're like, wow, I'm way out there. Like, if this doesn't work, it will be very public. <laughs> People are going to It will be an extremely public one. You know, you might as well take those big swings. I mean, literally, the worst thing that can happen is it's terrible, nobody likes it, and it bankrupts a studio. <laughs> that would be bad. No, no, of course, of course, but like, how bad? Yeah. You know, as bad as not making it? You know, maybe not. Definitely not. Barbie smashed box office records to become Warner Brothers' highest grossing film of all time. It wasn't a sure bet. Greta Gerwig, like Barbie's permanently arched feet, pulled off an almost impossible balancing act. I'm only your favorite woman of all time, 
Barbie! Giving voice to the iconic doll and her fiercest critics. You've been making women feel bad about themselves since you were invented. You're writing a movie for people that love Barbie. You're mm -hmm. writing a movie for people who maybe don't love Barbie. Mm -hmm. It feels like a hornet's nest. Yeah, there were lots of questions about like, should we be saying this or walking into this stuff? Or, But my feeling was people already know it's a hornet's nest. Mm -hmm. We cannot make something that pretends to be other than that. Can you can control your hair? It was Barbie herself, actress Margot Robbie, who brought Gerwig into the fold. Bobby day one. Robbie bought the rights to make a Barbie movie and asked Gerwig to write it. She agreed and signed up her partner in work and life, filmmaker Noah Baumbach, but neglected to tell him. He learned about it from a headline. I think I said, apparently, we're <laughs> writing a movie called Barbie. Yeah. Uh, I said, oh, whoops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even fathom it. Well, I mean, uh, his issue uh, with it was uh, there was no character and there was well, no I don't, story. I didn't mind that so much as that You did. It, you told me there's Barbie. no character uh, and there's that, no story. Wait, isn't Barbie um, a character? No. no she, she doesn't have, like, a personality a or, like, a... And then when I found out we were doing it, sort of actively trying to get us out of it. Did and you then actually try to get out of it? I, ma I made some calls. Uh, and then, Didn't work? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, because Greta was persistent and Greta saw something. I did. Greta, what was it you saw? You know, Barbie's been around since 1959, and everyone knows who she is, and everyone has an opinion, and she's run the gamut of being ahead of time, behind time. She's a hero. She's a villain. Together, they created their version of Barbie Land, a feminist utopia where every woman is Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I can. And every Ken is just an accessory. It's Barbie's dream house. It's not Ken's dream house, right? <laughs> right, as always. But an existential crisis in Barbie land... Do you guys ever think about dying? Barbie! ...sends Barbie and Ken... Yes. ...into the real world. I feel what can only be described as admired, but not ogled. And there's no undertone of violence. Mine very much has an undertone of violence. Thanks, man. Ken wanders off. Not worried about it. Not now, Margaret. Let's shake on this. Discovers patriarchy and likes it. <laughs> there were people who came out after the movie and said, oh, this movie is anti-man. The movie is meant to be a big-hearted thing, even though it's poking fun at everyone. But I had this thing. <laughs> but this is, but I've planned this in my head. I'll just say it. Okay. But I thought, well, this is not man-hitting anymore. Then Aristophanes Lysistrata was man-hating, which is, does not sound like a sick burn when you say it out loud like that. Yeah, that'll teach him. Gerwig invoked a Greek playwright to defend Barbie. We noticed her mind seems to percolate with literary references. Bombach's take on the Barbie backlash was simpler. I felt men could take it. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, this sounds so silly to say out loud, but I love Ken. We love Ken. We also take Ken's position quite seriously. Absolutely. I think like he has no identity outside of her. Gerwig and Bombach live in New York and wrote the screenplay at home during the pandemic. Were you entertaining each other? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it kind of kept us sane. Or the insanity went into the movie. They told us the final cut, which at times looks like a COVID fever dream, is very close to the script they submitted to Mattel. 
The toy maker, they say, was surprisingly hands-off, but had notes. One of the notes was on page 112, does a Mattel executive have to be shot? I got shot? And I felt like that was exciting. We knew we were on to something. We felt like we might as well go for broke. They're already not making movies. You thought it might not ever get made? Yeah, oh no, we thought it might never get made. And then pulled. And she says she never dreamed she'd be the one who ended up directing it. Greta Gerwig grew up in Sacramento and fell in love with community theater in grade school. She took up dancing, then acting. Did you know you would end up in New York? I, I wanted to be in New York, but I just didn't know that I, it was possible. I mean, it felt extremely far away and expensive. She attended Barnard College, performed in school productions, then fell in with a group of low-budget filmmakers before setting her sights on a wider audience. I remember I walked into a casting director's office. It was sort of the heyday of, like, um, just a certain look on network television, which I was never very good at doing. I don't know why, but I was wearing overalls. And I remember they... A <laughs> bold <laughs> choice. She looked up and she goes... You must be very talented. <laughs> she landed roles in more than a dozen movies, some she helped write. Then Greta Gerwig made the biggest leap of her career, from indie darling to breakout director with Lady Bird. Cut. Great. That was great. Let's party. Gerwig wrote the coming-of-age story about the complicated relationship between a mother and daughter. You should just go to City College, you know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail and then back to City College and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. The scene where she jumps out of the car. <laughs> yeah. What was your direction? I want you to, without even think about it, j just hurl yourself out of this car. Like, I want it to be almost like you've acted before you've thought through completely what the result of this is going to be. Yes! Gerwig's fearless approach earned the then 34-year-old two Oscar nominations. Two years later, she got a third nomination for her 2019 adaptation of Little Women. I'm so sick of people saying that, that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. Then came Barbie, with a budget more than 10 times that of Lady Bird. Oh, here, you go, you go. You, Last you. month at a theater in New York, Gerwig showed us some of the old musicals that inspired her, Burn the blue. including 1957's Funny Face. Look at the way they're standing. That's not humans. Like, those are dancers. That's what I wanted all the Barbies and Kens to look like. Barbie has that Technicolor soundstage look because Gerwig convinced the studio to build one complete with a painted sky and backdrop to give the movie a 2D effect. Basically, the foreground is, that's on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. So that's going like this to create movement. Mm -hmm. And then the lines on the road are being pulled by a person behind it. And it's about showing the work. I wanted to see that it was authentically artificial, mm -hmm. really fake. It's about kids, it's about playing with toys. The language of play has to be part of it. We shot this whole thing in one day. No. Yeah, we shot it in one day. We had one day to get it. And they were like, if you really want this dream ballet, you're going to get one day. What will it take for her to see the man behind As you sit here in the theater today, it's still amazing to you. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, honestly, the whole movie, when I watch it, I, I still can't believe anybody let me do this. <laughs> I'm just having some brewski beers at my Mojo Dojo Casa House. Gerwig says they wrote the role of Ken specifically for Ryan Gosling. Did you know him? No. No. I never met him. I mean, you wrote his name, Ryan, in the script. Yes, it said Ken Ryan Gosling. It was his full name. Every other, yeah, yeah we just put his full name in the whole time. a lot to type all the time. Did he instantly say, like, yes, I'm Ken? I basically was like, listen, we've seen the future. You're in it, and you're Ken. <laughs> Hang around with Greta Gerwig long enough, and a pattern emerges. <laughs> now you're going to see how I get people to do things. Okay, <laughs> she has a way of coaxing people out of their comfort zones. At a dance studio in Midtown Manhattan. Why don't you just come try it, though? Just come try it. One, two, three, four. Gerwig directed me to join her as she got back into the swing of one of her first loves, tap dancing. Paradiddle, paradiddle, paradiddle stamp. This is actually a Proustian moment. <laughs> a Proustian moment during something called a paradiddle. The only thing to do was step aside. Why does the timing, my timing off? You want to do it again? We'll just do it again. You're a bit of a perfectionist? I guess so, yes. But you're like, another take, another take, another take. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I'm not good enough. On the set of Barbie, Gerwig directed nearly 50 takes of this scene with America Ferreira, who plays a Mattel assistant and mother. It is literally impossible to be a woman. Soul-bearing monologues penned by Gerwig are a staple of her films, the writer's version of a guitar solo. You're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. Greta will go into some monologue mode. It's kind of almost physical. Like she goes in and she's just like, and kind of like, like doing a thing and like, you know, it's like Joe Cocker or something. Yeah, it's like, and then she hands it over and, and it's uh. great. Next, Gerwig is taking on a big franchise. She's directing and writing two Chronicles of Narnia movies. She confessed putting her stamp on the beloved C.S. Lewis classics is giving her nightmares. Yeah, whenever I'm stuck, I go for walks, do you which is get most stuck? of the time. Do you get stuck? That's all I, like it's blowing that's all out I do. I only get stuck. That's all I do. That's why I'm always going on walks. Whatever she's doing, it's paying off. Greta Gerwig is the first woman to solo direct a billion-dollar movie, an idea that once seemed as far-fetched as Barbie in Birkenstocks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Now, an update on a story from October. Leslie Stahl reported from Israel about the rescue of a family at a kibbutz during the Hamas invasion and massacre. We also saw their neighbors, shown in this Hamas shot video, captured and terrorized. While this father, his companion, and her son were all killed, two young sisters were taken hostage and held in Gaza. Last Sunday, as part of the U.S.-brokered temporary ceasefire and hostage release, those sisters, 8-year-old Ella and 15-year-old Daphna El-Yakim, tearfully were reunited with their mother. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts.